Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better in others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth might bow and every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. I'm not here to change the light bulb. <laughs> the ladder of success. We like to climb it, don't we? As we live our lives, we try and be successful. We strive for greatness, as the Sony PlayStation tells us, a greatness awaits. And so we climb. We try and climb this ladder of success. The first thing we do is we get a great education at Seattle Pacific University <laughs> and seminary or somewhere else, your alma mater. Did you know that most Americans, when asked their GPA, round up? <laughs> 3.5 technically is a 4.0. But why do we do that? Why do we tell that little white lie about our GPA? Why do we try and present ourselves as successful to the world when it comes to our education? Maybe we're trying to be great. And then what do we do after we graduate from college? We look for the perfect job, that great job that we're going to get that's going to move us up in the world. And so we climb. We get that job and we get that salary and we get all that responsibility too. And so we climb to get higher on the career ladder, on the ladder of success. And then as soon as we get that job, we become so successful that then we begin to look for recognition and awards and things that will make us look even more successful to the world around us. We build our resumes. And then someone comes along and says, here's another job for you. And so we climb. And we make more money and we get more successful and we get more stuff and more things and we start having families and we get married and all these wonderful things that help us to create this image of a successful life. And then we begin to buy brand name stuff to make sure that everybody knows our status in the world. We drive cars, we wear clothes, we do things that will make people see our success and how successful we are 
at climbing this ladder of life. Right? And you know, as a pastor, I get to talk to a lot of people at the top of this ladder. And I talk to men and I talk to women who have been striving so hard to be Superman or Wonder Woman, to do it all, to have it all, to present this image of the world that we're successful, we've got it all together. And yet often I find these same men and women in the pastor's office spiritually empty. And they come into my office and they say, why am I so empty? I've got it all. I've climbed the ladder. I've done everything that society has taught me to do. And for some reason, I don't feel fulfilled. It goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? You remember the Garden of Eden and that story of Adam and Eve? The serpent was up in a tree. I wonder if they had to climb that tree to get the fruit. I wonder, and what was the temptation they had to grasp, they had to climb up for? What the temptation was that they'd be like God. That they'd have greatness. That they'd be successful like God. And so they climbed and they grasped for that fruit. And they were empty, spiritually bankrupt. And then comes this guy named Jesus. The one at the top of the ladder, remember that guy? The guy who had it all already, who was already up here, who was with God, who was God. If anybody was great, it was Jesus. And he took that and he said, you know, I don't, that's not something I want to grab onto. That's not something I want to exploit. And so Jesus stepped down. And he became a human being. In fact, he became so human that people didn't even recognize him. They didn't even recognize that he was from God because he was so human. Not only did he become a human, but he became a servant. A slave, it says. Not just any slave, but then he took another step down and he became a criminal. And they put him on a cross. And he died there. And in that moment, Jesus said, it's not about climbing up. It's about stepping down. In fact, he defined the whole kingdom, the whole gospel. He defined greatness as this. If you want to become great, he said to his disciples, become servant of all. That's what Jesus said. And what I love about God and what I love about Jesus and what I love about the Spirit is that Jesus was God stepping down into our world. That's what we celebrate at Advent and Christmas. This incarnation. That we have a God that is not seeking to exploit God's greatness, but is willing to be humble. Willing to serve. Because God loves you and me. God cares too deeply about us <laughs> to not come down and show us that there's a different way of doing life than just climbing this ladder. And that's really what the incarnation partly communicates to us. In fact, that's what Paul appeals to in this incarnation. He's saying to the people of the Philippians, he's saying to them, hey, have this different attitude. Because in the incarnation... God is showing us a different way of being and living. 
That's what God's doing. Now, we don't understand the incarnation. We've, we've had scholars debate it. We've got libraries full of books about how the incarnation works, trying to make sense of it, trying to figure out the mechanics of it. How could God become human and what did God have to give up? And when God emptied God's self, what happened there? Really, the answer is we don't know how that works. It's a mystery. But in that mystery, God is revealing something about God's self to us, and that is that God is willing to be humble. That love creates humility. That love keeps us in the, in the path of humility. So I want to talk about this attitude of humility. That's what Paul's pointing us to. He says that our attitude, he says in Philippians 2.5, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus who stepped down rather than climbed up. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us to adopt this attitude of humility? Well, I'm going to share a few things with you. I think that what this looks like. What does this look like, this attitude of humility? Well, one of the things that the American Psychological Association has noted over the past 20 years that the median narcissism index in America has gone up 30%. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that as a society, our narcissism index has gone up? They did a study, actually, earlier, pre-millennial study, and in 1954, psychologists asked teenagers, or gave them this statement, they said, I, the statement was, I'm a very important person. Guess how many teenagers thought that statement was true of themselves? Take a guess. I'll let you guess. All of them? No. But you're spoken like a true millennial today, right? <laughs> You'll understand in a minute. You will understand in a minute. I'm not picking on you. What's that? Three or four percent. Actually, 12 percent of teenagers in 1954 said that about themselves. By 1989, 35 years later, 80 percent of young men and 77 percent of young women were saying, I'm a very important person. In 35 years, it had changed. Since then, psychologists have said that's gone up even more. That we're more into ourselves, that we're more, as a society, our narcissism has gone up. Keeps going up. What did Jesus do with narcissism? Came down, right? He gave it up. In fact, I don't believe God is narcissistic. A lot of people think God is. I think the incarnation proves that we don't have a narcissistic God. A God that was willing to step down into our world and to love us and to care for us and show us a different way. So I think part of our own attitude of humility is really emptying our own selves of narcissism. We have to give up our narcissistic ways. I've actually thought about giving up Facebook and social media. Because really what we understand is in the social media world that these, there are these algorithms at work behind the scenes in our social media software that are actually dictating what we see in our feeds. And if there are any tech people in the room, please correct me after the service. But there are algorithms in this software that's saying, I think you need to see this. This is what you want to see, not what, I, what you want to... You're not making that decision, is what I'm saying. What's making the decision for you is a computer saying, I believe this is what you want to see, which is based on your own narcissism. And really, 
if you look at a lot of social media, I don't know how it's changed much over the years, but if you look at social media, what I don't really need to see another picture of somebody's lunch. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really need to know what you had for lunch today. I don't need to see another picture of your feet propped up somewhere on some great view. Right? What, what, why are we doing that? Why are we presenting to the world that? And notice that in that moment that we do that, what are we really longing for? We're longing for significance. We're longing to be recognized. We're longing for someone to say, pay attention to me. That's what we're hoping for, if we're really honest with ourselves. So we need to empty ourselves of this narcissism, not just us, but a lot of people in our society. Because have you noticed there's a kind of a lack of humility these days? The other thing I think we're to empty ourselves of, and Paul says this in verse 3, that we're to empty ourselves of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. That's Actually, he says, don't do anything for selfish purposes. But I call this selfish ambition. That a lot of times we're doing things to climb up, to be successful, and we're, this is our own selfish ambition that's kicking in, that's driving us at this point. To empty ourselves is to let go of that. You know, I want you to imagine just for a minute your funeral. I know that's a, kind of a morbid thing to ask you to do. But I don't want you to just imagine how you're going to die. I want you to imagine just for a minute what are people going to say about you at your funeral? You're at your funeral. You're listening in. Everybody's there. What are they saying about you? I can tell you what they're going to say about you. I've been to a lot of funerals. I have never seen somebody hand out a resume at their funeral showing their GPA, showing all their awards and recognitions and successes. I've never seen that happen at a funeral because that's not what matters at a funeral. In fact, when I listen to people talk about that person who's passed away, very little of what they say is about their accomplishments, about their greatness, about their success, very little about their success. You know what people talk about? You've been to funerals. What do they talk about? They talk about how that person loved them. If it's a coworker, they don't talk about the project they worked on with that coworker. They talk about how that person cared for them in the workplace. When a spouse dies, that other spouse doesn't talk about all the person's accomplishments. What they miss most about that person is the way that they were loved by that person. When you talk to children when they lose their parent or grandparent, they're always talking about how grandma loved me, cared for me, served me. And what are all those examples of? People who are willing to step down and serve and to love and to care for others. That's what people remember at funerals, not resumes. So if that's really what matters, why not empty ourselves of our own ambitions and love like Christ loved? That's the attitude of humility. One other thing I would say, and this may be a little bit harder for us to swallow, is that I think we are to empty ourselves of independent thinking. Now, that doesn't go well in America. I get that. We pride ourselves on being independent thinkers. We pride ourselves on 
getting those profound original ideas. I, as a preacher, succumb to this every week. What profound thing can I say this week? Or if I'm teaching in higher education, I may be thinking, what is this original idea that I can come up with to communicate and teach, right? This idea that I've got to come up with something new and imaginative and put up ladders and sermons just to keep people's attention. (laughs) Right? Why? What's going on inside of us that we have to be so independent in our thinking? Is it not that we're climbing? Philippians 2.2, Paul says this. He says, complete my joy by thinking, not independently, the same way. Having the same love. Being united and agreeing with each other. What Paul is saying is that the way of humility, the attitude of humility is finding ways to create the same love and to love each other and to think the same way and feel and experience unity and have community because this is the thing about humility. Community exists when there's humility. Community is destroyed by narcissism and ambition and independent thinking. It destroys community. One of the greatest blessings of my life was when I was in a program at the Beeson Pastor Program and I got to live in a community with 21 other pastors and their families. That was one of the best years of community of my life. And the reason that is such a great example of community to me is because we all were on the same playing field socioeconomically. Nobody made more money than anybody else. So we were at the same level economically. We all had the same purpose. We were all doing the same thing. We were all finding a way to serve God and grow in our in our development as leaders, as servant leaders. We were all trying to, we were all pastors. We all were pastors' families. And very rarely can a pastor ever experience that. Because usually we're off in our own churches doing our own uh, things, right? Independently. But in that community, we experienced care, love, prayer. People prayed for us regularly. In fact, when we left that community, the last we, 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 we all spent a year together. One, I'll give you two examples. One is that we had a, uh, one of the guys in our community, his mom was ill, very ill with cancer. And he lived in Canada. He had to go home to Canada, but he didn't have enough money to go home to Canada. So all of us took a little bit of our income and pulled all our incomes together. Different families all pulled together and we sent him home to be with his mom. You know what that does? That builds community. When we all are willing to serve together. The other thing was that the moment we drove away from campus, at the end of that year, every family, when they would get the U-Haul trailer packed up, each family would stand out in the middle of this grassy area, and all the other families would come out, and we'd all lay hands on that family and pray for that family, sending them into the ministry field, into the mission field. And I'll never forget how that group, every time somebody got sent, there were tears. And that group just kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I felt bad. We were like the family number five from the end. And I felt bad for the other four families that were left behind. I said, I, I feel bad for you. Goes, Who's going to be here to pray for you? And they're saying, no, this is awesome. It's community. We experience community. We experience community, folks, when we empty ourselves of independent thinking so that we can seek the same love for one another. Serving one another. 
Maybe this will help you. A young monk went to the monastery to start his first year of monastic life. And the abbot of the monastery mentored him. And so in their mentoring relationship, the young monk came to the abbot and said, what's the difference between heaven and hell? And the abbot said, come with me, I'll show you. And he showed them two doors in the monastery, and he opened up the first door, and they went in, and there was this great banquet hall. And the aroma was wonderful in the room. There was this big feast in the middle of the table, a big, round, giant table with people all around it, and this great food was in the middle of the table, and you could smell it as you entered the room. You could see all the people around the table, and each person was given a long spoon because the, the, the food was so far away from their seats that they had to have these long spoons to reach the food in the middle of the table. But the problem with these long spoons is that they were longer than their arms. So when you turn it back, they'll put it back in your, you, you couldn't quite get it there. And, but they got to arguing and using their spoons as weapons to try and knock other people away from the food so they could get to the food and get it to themselves. And they were arguing and they were fighting with their spoons and hitting each other with their spoons and defending the food with their spoons. And nobody was happy. Nobody was completely joyful. And he, the abbot closed the door and he looked at the young monk and he said, that's hell. He went to the second door, opened it up and they went into the room and the same scene was there, the big round table, lots of people, the same food in the middle of the table. You could smell the aroma of this wonderful food. Same long spoons, same people. But the difference was that the people were using their long spoons to feed each other, to give the food to each other across the table. They weren't fighting, jockeying for position, exploiting their position at the table. They were taking their spoons, dipping it in the food, and serving the person across from them. And everybody was laughing and enjoying their company and enjoying the meal together. And the abbot closed the door and said, that's heaven. Serving. Community. Humility. That's where you'll find joy. So how are you using your spoon today? You know, God's given you a long spoon. It's called your long life. How are you using that spoon that God's given you? Are you using it to climb? Or are you using it to serve? Amen.